here. Sun is shining. It is. If you were to pencil a date in your diary, I would uh, encourage you to pencil in the 12th and um, because Sunday the 12th is one of those ones that I reckon would be a great one because in the morning time we get to talk about a really important topic and in the evening time we actually get to do a workshop for two hours to hearing about how does God speak to people and how does God actually communicate to you and to others and that would be a great space and a great uh, workshop for you to be involved in in the Sunday evening. Alrighty, so two stories, one text, one challenge. Two stories... One text, one challenge. Many years ago now, when I was playing football for a local country footy team, many, many years ago, and I will not even name what that team is, I remember at the end of the season, what we had is one of the familiar town guys come and drag me aside and pull me out into a room outside of the the rest of the clubhouse, and he had had two or three or four or maybe five uh, too many drinks to have, And he began to talk about the season next season and uh, how we were going to take on the opponents. And as he was talking about what we would do and how the team would improve for the coming year, he looked at me and he said this, in the midst of his kind of haphazard state, he said, I don't get you, I don't get you at all. And in that moment... I realized two things. Well, firstly, he said, I don't get you. He said, because there are so many different things that we get involved in uh, as part of the teammates here, and I see that you don't get involved in them, but you still seem to have fun. (laughs) How is that? And in that moment, I realized two things. Firstly, this, that he was watching. And secondly, that I didn't have any words to say. I don't know if it was because I just didn't have confidence or I just hadn't thought it through, but I just didn't have the words. I was kind of like a mystery to him. Okay, hold that one story there. Let's fast forward a whole, whole bunch of years to last year. My wife and I, Bron, we were on a trip overseas and uh, there was a whole group of people in the Greek islands, I hate to say, that hopped on a boat for a a tour for the day to the different islands. And it just so happened, if you were around 50 and above and male, you ended up in the stern of the ship. (laughs) And we all ended, there was the three of us, just the three of us, we were down in the stern of the ship, and we all looked at one another, and we kind of did the, who are you, what do you do, and what are you here for? Why are you here? (laughs) Well, the first guy is a British guy. He said, I'm here, COVID's just hit, and uh, man... I've had to do a whole recheck on life. My family life's complicated. My world was complicated. I could afford it. So I just resigned my job and I'm sailing around the Greek islands for 40 days just mindlessly. (laughs) That was it. We turn to the next guy and he said, well, I've been working in Germany. Um, I'm in business manager. And he said, the last seven days I've been on a spiritual retreat. I've been trying to find myself. (laughs) Cool. Cool. And then they both turned on me and they said, what do you do? 
And why are you here? <laughs> you know, there's sometimes as a minister that you kind of just want to have a holiday. <laughs> because in that moment, after all of the static, after all of the noise that had been going on for a couple of years now around the world with different Jesus followers and different people of Christian faith um, being really loud in the world, I flinched. I really did. In that moment, in that conversation, I flinched and I felt it inwardly and I thought to myself, do I really want to be associated with some of the really loud negative voices that I've experienced over the past number of years? Right. And, and, and how will they receive it when I actually tell them who I am and what, what, what I do? Well, apart from some jaws dropping and saying, no, no, you couldn't have... And that conversation fueled what has been over the last year a theme that we've been exploring called quietly loud. Because sometimes Jesus followers in the last, I don't know, period of time within our community and wide around the world have been really loud when I think they should have been quiet. And they've been really quiet on things that they should have been loud about. And it's really difficult, isn't it, to discern when to be loud and when to be quiet. But what I feel is this, is that our culture right now has got their foot firmly planted on the accelerator called progress. And it's, if you like, deconstructing all kinds of mores and ideas and structures around, believing that the best is yet ahead of us. And I think someone of faith is trying to ask, how do I inhabit a world that's rapidly changing? And what does it look like for me to inhabit that sphere well? And so over the last year, we've been talking about quietly loud. And in particular, this last month, we've been exploring the theme. Peter writes this letter, a right-hand person of Jesus, writing to people who are of faith, who are living in an environment that it's got fairly toxic because they stand to declare that there's someone else different in their world that actually is the true Lord and King and boss and Caesar of their life. His name is Jesus and he's been transforming them and it's kind of getting heated because they're wondering if those people of faith are the ones that are dislocating themselves from the rest of culture and maybe they're the ones that have caused the problems that maybe the people in that Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey, have been experiencing in their local vicinity. And so it's got hot. If you like, the heat's been turned up. And so he writes to them. Three weeks ago, we said, Peter was trying to encourage them and say, remember who you are, don't get lost in the landscape. Two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of reflecting God and reflecting who he is back into the world. And last week... We unpack the idea of respecting authorities and structures because that's generally given for God's goodness and order in this world. And today, today in the time that we have remaining, I want to explore this idea of being kind of ready. That first illustration, that conversation with someone who saw me as being a mystery as well as not flinching but being quietly Loud, And so if you want to follow with us, you can do so. Um, but I'm just going to dive right in here. Paul continues in chapter 3. He writes these things. Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. This is like Peter's third quarter huddle. 
He is gathering the team together. And he's saying, from wherever you are reading this letter from, I want you more than anything else, as a group of people who have been shaped and formed by Jesus, I want you to, if you like, gather around, and I want you to be this to each other. I want you to be single-minded in your pursuit. I want you to be sympathetic to each other's challenges and needs and failures and heartaches. That's what I want you to be for each other. I want you to love one another deeply from the heart because you have not been born, if you like, of blood into God's family. You have actually been born again like a little child have been welcomed into his family because of what Jesus has done for you. And so I want you to understand that in the depth of your being that your identity now is wrapped up in God's family and you have new brothers and sisters and so I want you to be compassionate and I want you to be humble towards one another no matter what strata of society you've come from what we know is that pride just kind of disconnects and deconstructs things and so I want you to be gentle to each other and I want you to be humble before each other And I want you to be unified together, not just because it reflects the new family that you're part of, but because more than anything else, other people can see it. You you know, if you come into this, this room on a Sunday, maybe Arch has done that. She's walked in and she goes, people smile. Why do they do that? What are they hiding? (laughs) Is there some trick? (laughs) Why do people, sometimes people come into a, a, a Jesus-shaped community and they're like, they're so kind of warm and, and caring. And I've been, if you like, conditioned in my world to be really kind of cautious and, and suspecting of a, a, a trick, you know. But you know, that one of the things that Jesus folk do is they understand this understanding of dynamic of family and, and you brothers and sisters, they learn sometimes hard fought to love one another deeply so that other people can see. And so Peter gathers them, he looks them in the eye and he says, this is what I want you to be. Because the world can pull you apart. And then from looking inwardly, he looks outwardly and he says these profound words. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, with positive with good, because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Not that I do things for God so that I can get things from him, but because I'm already part of his family and I've encountered him in my life. Now, I kind of want to, understanding from that place and that position, I want to speak good and positivity in his love into the world. So we've all been understanding and and following, I imagine, what's unfolding in Gaza. And and just in the last day, I think, even just in the last 24 hours, there's been a shift and there's been foot soldiers, you know, into Gaza now. And I don't know about you, but I kind of look at that complex mess. And if you think you understand the complexity of things, this dynamic has not just been going on for a generation or two. This kind of setting has been going on for hundreds of years, believe me. And so this is just another iteration. Someone sends bombs and someone else sends more bombs, someone else, and it just continues, right? And you and I, we look at pictures and we just scratch our heads 
And we can all agree about one thing, is that evil always usually begets more evil, which begets more evil, which begets more evil, right? Right? You've been caught up in a conflict at work, or or you're you're driving in the car and someone's cut you off, and the, the instinct within you is to, well, I'm going to do the same or a little bit more back, right? That story and that narrative is being told from the very beginning of the Bible. In the first human beings that God said, I want you to not eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, but any other one you can. It seemed as though there was an instinct with human beings that says that they saw the fruit and that it was delight to the eyes, that it was good to gain knowledge from. And so they reached out and they took it and they ate it. Human beings, if you like, the narrative of human beings is that when we see something we like and someone else has it, we tend to reach out and take. In the very next story, the very next story, which is a critique of humanity, there's two brothers and both offer up a sacrifice to God and one of them's acceptable and one isn't. And God spells that out. But rather than Cain, the, the, the brother saying, okay, I'm going to change my heart attitude, God, what does he do? He seeks revenge on his brother Abel and he says, brother, let's go out into the field. And out into the field, he kills him. Revenge. And so this cycle, if you like, is just part of humanity, which doesn't mean it's an excuse for it. It's just the way human beings instinctively, sinfully, wrongfully function. So in the midst of this, Peter says, When you're being pushed in the margins, when you're being challenged verbally, when you are experiencing some social isolation, when someone says those words to you, I want you to adopt a different posture. I want you to, rather than repay evil with evil, I want you to break the cycle. I know this is going to be hard. I know this is going to be difficult. I don't understand all of your situation and your setting, but you know that the other way doesn't work And this is just the way Jesus brought. So would you, as best you can, break the cycle and be an agent for change in this world? Because one day, you are going to experience and inherit that same agency of God for you. And so then he actually then, if you like, becomes a little hypothetical and he says... Who is going to do harm if you actually are eager to do good? Because if you are someone who brings good into the world, if you are someone who actually says, I'm going to get up and try and do the the best I can to speak positivity in people's lives, he says, more often than not, people around you will see that in you and they will value that and want that and like that and it will generally go really well for you. And he presses on and he says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear of their threats or do not be frightened. Not because in those moments you might experience some anxiety and you might experience the force, if you like, of their push. But what I want you to understand is that God is with you and that he loves you. And it's not a blessing in your life because there's some disruption right now. It's actually a good thing because someone might point you out. It actually identifies that God is shining through you 
And if they're seeking to understand what that looks like and they're kind of a little bit out of joint with you because of that, I want you to understand that you are with God and God is with you. And so I want you to own that. Know that. Because it's real. We're talking to some people this week and they were saying, you know, in Australia, we probably don't experience anything like what they experienced. And I agreed. I think our social dislocation here, maybe the media will hook onto things and they'll amplify and exaggerate. But more often than not, it might be a nod or a, that's interesting, you believe those things? Or, or maybe you might get caught up in the, the, the loud ones when they should have been quiet and so you get associated and that's uncomfortable. Maybe you might miss a promotion because someone intimates that you, but pretty much in Australia... We don't experience these things in the same way. But I wonder what it would look like for you in your school, in your workplace, in your community, if you woke up in the morning time and you said, I am going to seek to do good and break cycles in this world to reflect God so that others may see. And then Peter goes on and he says this, but in your hearts set apart Jesus as the boss the CEO the Lord the new Caesar the creator of all things always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have because I'm not sure if you always remember that you have a hope if you call yourself a Jesus follower and you've experienced and encountered his love and goodness and graciousness in your life, I'm not sure if you understand this fully, but you have a hope. And sometimes this world will feel very hopeless. But I want you to be so filled up and be hope-filled that it will actually, if you like, be contagious and, and that you might be in, in the position to kind of just give it away at times because you don't see the world through the same set of lenses as other people might. One of the biggest philosophies that's influenced uh, so much of our Western thought over the past hundred years or so has been big name existentialism. Uh, effectively, it just says, pull God out of the picture and you are left with three realities. The first reality is this. We will all die. I, I, I agree, physically. Um, you are alone in the universe and your life has no meaning. There is no meaning to this universe at all. Therefore, if you grasp these three realities, you will have an existential crisis. That's where we get it from. And you will then be confronted with your aloneness, your purposelessness, and your imminent death. But you get to choose what you do from there. And that's the power of the thought, if you like, is that you get to choose. So some people will say, I know all those things, but I'm going to plow my life into family. Some others will say, I'm going to plow my life into my work. And some others will say, I'm going to plow my life into having as much fun as I can because I know that I'm going to die and that's it that I'm alone in the universe and we are all just matter, just atoms and molecules, and that is it. Now tell me, even if you agree with that this morning, 
Put your hand up if you think that that's hope filled. <laughs> that might just be a reality, but it doesn't give much hope. But Peter, when he's writing these words to them, he's saying, I, I'm not sure if you fully grasp and understand that when Jesus came to life, it means that he has victory over death. You do not have to fear death in the same way. Uh, and, and, you know, when he welcomed you in his family, he said that you have a place and a space and an identity. You are with God and God is with you and nothing and no one can rob that from you. That is a new identity. That is awesome. And, and what's more, that your life isn't meaningless. Your life now has a purpose in joining with him and transforming this world for good until he comes back again. And you will live with that knowledge and that will change you from the inside out. And so I think Peter was wanting to encourage them and say, do you know that hope? Because you have it. You have a hope. And then he goes on and he just backing up in that. He says, so therefore, what I'd love you to do is, is just be prepared. Be prepared one day when someone might say to you, why are you smiling? <laughs> why is it that when you look at the things and you see around, there's part of you that mourns and groans, but there's another part of you that doesn't seem to be so displaced? What's that about? Uh, because, you know, maybe you have something to offer. A number of years ago now, I took a trip to India. And in that place, I had an opportunity to talk to groups of young men, 20 in each group up in northern India, and to talk to them about things of faith and God, and they had become Jesus followers. And I remember the first two times I sat in the rooms... And I asked them a basic question. I said, could anyone here in this room tell me, what is the good news about Jesus? And in straight lines, India, straight lines, and white shirts, and, and hands went up. And this was all being translated from Hindi. And, and so the hands went up and they said, uh, and then I said, you, and, and he stood up because you stand up and you give your answer. <laughs> and, and he said, Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven. And I said, that's a really good answer. I think that's what many people where I come from would say too. It's not a bad answer. It's not a wrong answer. But it doesn't, in my mind, say enough about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is more than just a forgiving machine. I didn't quite say it like that. <laughs> but I said, but I'd really love to know now, what first attracted you to him? Like, what was it that first got you excited about Jesus? And for the next two hours in both places I went to, each individual student stood up and told me their story. Awesome. It's exhausting, but it was awesome. Two out of the, both groups said, I felt guilty about something and I discovered in Jesus I could be forgiven. Uh, others said, though, I discovered in Jesus that he was an awesome leader and I wanted to be like him. And so that's what first attracted me to him. Wow. Someone else said, I was afraid of the monkey god Hanuman and I discovered that in Jesus I didn't have to be afraid of the spirit world anymore. Awesome. Both groups though, half of them put their hand up and said, someone prayed for me and something happened. And that's what first attracted me to Jesus. He's powerful. Wow. You know, some of the most powerful things that you can do as a Jesus follower is quietly when someone pray for them to see what Jesus might do. <laughs> and, and in that, I discovered and learned afresh that probably one of the most easiest ways and powerful ways 
that you can be ready is answer that question. What difference is Jesus making in your life today? (laughs) What first attracted you to him? Give that away. Because then he presses on after he kind of says, I I want you to have a predetermined decision because that's what being prepared is about, having a predetermined decision. And that decision will start with this. I'll jump back one. I'm going back there. There it is there. You need to set him apart. What is that all about? Setting him apart means that there's a place in your life where you actually say, I've got all these things that are really important to me, but this is the most important So Peter says, what I want you to do when you wake up in the morning times, when you're driving to work, when you're going to school, when you're out there in your communities, I want you to kind of be mindful of that that you've got all these different priorities in your life and what I want you to do is get into the habit of routinely saying, I want to set you apart. And and to set him apart, you need to actually make a decision, a predetermined decision to to do that and to say, you're you're the number kind of one in, in my life. Just this last week, I've been helping someone who's wanting to get into the fitness routine and go running. I, I, I went down the shop with them. They were looking at a pair of shoes. I said, I'd like you to buy some that are, are functional to run and less about fashion. The person said, I kind of like the fashion too, but yes, I would like them to be functional. Um, and so both of those things were in play. And I went down to the shop and we tried on different ones and they walked back and forward and they looked at them and they said, yes, they're functional. And they're fashionable too because it's important how you look when you're running. Uh, This is important. And so uh, ordered a pair of shoes. You know, if if that person hadn't already made a decision to change something in their life, nothing would have changed. But they went down looking because they'd already made a decision, a predetermined decision. (laughs) And and that predetermined decision was to go running. And, and, And Peter, he's not talking about shoes here, he's actually talking about the most important things, he said, what I'd love you to do is, is when you're living in that scattered places, I'd like you to wake up in the morning time and kind of make a decision with God and say to him, good morning, God, I'm reporting for duty. I just want to set you here. And, and so that when I go about my duties today, I'll be mindful that you are with me and that you are for me and that I carry a hope. It's powerful in a hopeless world coming up guys because this is probably one of the most important parts of what Peter's going to say just here he says not only is that going to require a predetermined decision but I want you to do it with gentleness I want you to do it with respect I want you to do it in such a way that even if people don't agree with you and don't like your Jesus, that they'll see the goodness of God in and through you that they can't deny. I reckon Peter was saying, I I want you to learn to give away hope. I I just want you to learn to give away hope. What I love about this is that it doesn't say twist their arm behind their back. It doesn't say trick them into... It doesn't say...
coerce them and convince them and have all the big list of reasons and rationales and win them over. I mean, that's, there's a place. But it just says, I want you to love them. And by the way, they're not a them. They're a human being made in God's image. So I want you to learn to give away faith. Live a life that shows. Two stories. One text. One challenge. Do you want to be someone who gives away hope? It starts with a predetermined decision. To live a life that's open and that shows. Let me pray for you this morning. God, here in this place, you've heard these words, Peter's words, encouraging people of faith. I ask this morning here for those that say, I want to give away hope. God, would you empower them to do that? Would you give them creativity to think? conviction to live and may they hold your hope with strength and I wonder God what you might do in among us when you're in the midst giving away hope Amen As we finish this morning why don't you stand with us let's sing together